It really is good to be with you all this morning, and I bring greetings from South Wales Baptist Association. As you have been told, my name is Emma Moore. Um, I've just finished in local pastorate, so I was part-time regional minister from September 2019, but I was still the minister of Richmond Road Baptist Church, and during that time I actually came and I've been with you once before, and that was lovely but that was all pre-covid days where i could see your smiling faces because i do feel at home as well at home there is an audience that we can't see at all and here there is an audience or a congregation behind a mask but i know by the glint in a couple of eyes that i can see there are some smiles around the room now what we have just heard leads us very well into what god has laid on my heart for us this morning for this morning, we are thinking about how we love each other through the practice of justice. In the book of James, it talks about faith and believing in Jesus and in works, doing the things that we do because we love Jesus. In the book of James, it talks about the fact that if we believe in Jesus, we want to imitate him. Do the things he did, act in the ways that he acted. And it all happens very, very naturally. An outworking, if you like, of being the branches and Jesus being the vine. Now, I also know that you are in a series of looking at Jesus, the storyteller. And Jesus tells a story, he tells a parable about what happens when faith and works happen naturally. And when someone is shown the love and compassion Jesus would show. And so I'm going to share with you a very abridged, very simplified version of Luke chapter 10. And there are some slides to go with it. Here we go. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers beat him up and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going that way, but when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Then a Levite came to the place, saw him, and passed by on the other side. A Samaritan was passing saw the man and took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, and took him to an inn. I love the parables Jesus told. For I don't know about you, but they always make you sit up and reevaluate our actions. You see, it's often easier to walk past when we see something that is unsettling. It is sometimes easier to switch off the television when we hear what is happening because of climate change, because it seems too big for our minds to comprehend. Therefore, to switch off and maybe go and do the gardening or the washing up seems an easier option. 
The road the man walked was known to be a dangerous road to travel. Is it any wonder that the priest and the Levite walked past quickly on the other side? We're very quick to point the finger, aren't we? We read this parable. I know we put ourselves on a little pedestal when we read this parable. And we point the finger so quickly. But were they scared? Were they scared that they too might be attacked? Uh, Were they late for a meeting and hammering down the outside lane of the M4 to get there on time? It's very easy for us to point our finger and then align ourselves with the Samaritan and say, but of course we would be the ones who would go over and help. But how often... How often have we walked past on the other side? How often have we walked past because we just didn't have time? Because we just didn't quite know what to do? Because we were scared? I wonder whether you have ever stopped to watch the interaction of children on a playground or in a park or somewhere. I must confess I spend quite a lot of my time at the playground or certainly at the school gate. I've got three children, one four, one six, one nine, and they have staggered, certainly during COVID, they had staggered going in times and staggered coming out times, and my life seemed to be spent quite a lot of it on the school gate. And I'm a bit of a people person watcher anyway, so I would watch the interactions of the children And it was interesting to watch the children who only played with the other children that they really knew and really liked. They became a little huddle and woe betide any other child that tried to infiltrate. Then there were the children who would be watching out for their friends to arrive and would ecstatically and excitedly wave and beckon them over. Come and join. Come and join in. And then there were some others who were in their group playing but would keep an eye out for the child who was sat on their own or playing on their own and would purposefully leave the group that they were with to go and engage in the one who was on their own. And that really warmed my heart. But we see that and we analyse that in children and we say, oh, that's lovely. And we don't always apply it to ourselves. Now, I know from having been here before that when you have coffee, lots of people come and talk to the newbie. And it was lovely. But I'm sure we've all had experience when we've been the newbie and you've sat you haven't really felt that welcome, that being welcomed and drawn in to the crowd. People have sat in their own little clusters or cliques because they know each other and they get on well with each other and, and yes, they want to hear what the week has held for them. Because to reach out means you have to Step out of your comfort zone. 
To reach out means that you have to operate in a spontaneous way. It means stepping out and engaging with the unknown and the unknowable. It means setting aside our own agenda and truly putting others first. Does this remind us of the one who shared the story? Jesus was forever stepping out. He was forever reaching out to the one who the rest thought was not acceptable. Now here it's the Samaritan who took a risk. He took a risk stopping on a dangerous road. He took a risk approaching and helping someone of a different culture. He took a risk financially. And in doing so, he showed Christ-like justice in action. So what does God think about justice? Well, Isaiah 30 verse 18 tells us that God is a fair God. And when God sees things in the world that are not fair and not just, how, I wonder, does it make him feel? We are told throughout scripture that God hates injustice. He hates hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. And throughout the Old Testament, God speaks through his prophets and says he hates it. When he sees his people praying and worshipping, but not doing anything to fight injustice. If you want a bit of homework, you can go home and you can read Isaiah 1. You can go home and read Amos 5. You can go home and read Zephaniah 3, Ezekiel 22. In fact, just pick up your Bible and read it and you'll see it. God feels the pain of those who suffer injustice. And God says that when we ignore the needs of those around us, we ignore him. Getting involved in COP26 is not really a decision. (laughs) We are called to do it. God knows and feels the acts of injustice in our world. So I wonder how injustice makes you feel when it's at your expense. Does it make you feel angry? Does it make you feel sad or frustrated or helpless or confused? I wonder how it makes us feel. Now in James's writing, in James chapter 1, it says this. <clears throat> My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich in being brought down because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. In the same way with the rich, in the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. 
such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is given from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It goes on in that passage to say, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Now, I use that passage in James following on from the parable that Jesus gave because here, James is writing to a group of believers who were experiencing persecution. They were hurting and they were angry. And into that situation, James writes to them and he calls them his beloved. The word I like to translate, please, I haven't gone back to the Greek. I haven't even gone back to the Hebrew. I've gone back to the Welsh. When you hear that word beloved, I hear the word kutch. Oh, sorry for those who are not Welsh on our online system. But he engages with them and he identifies with them and he belovedly kutches them. And he gives them a word of warning as he gets to the end of that passage we were reading. And he says this, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Now, I wonder for a moment, when was the last time you felt you were righteously angry? I felt righteously angry on my drive home last night from Cribs Causeway. As I drove up Cumbran Drive, and a car where there were two lines of traffic and no third way in the middle, shot past us, going at goodness knows how fast, my nine-year-old daughter said, Mummy, calm down. (laughs) I was righteously angry. They were wrong. But when we examine things closer, is our angry response any different to our response when it's genuine injustice? Or are we actually 
less angry over genuine injustice than we are over things that just really rile us. It was alluded to that I uh, did the London Marathon two, three weeks ago. I still got the blisters to prove it. I am not a runner. Uh, my style of doing the London Marathon, there are those who train and they train so that you've done the five-mile run without stopping. You do the 10-mile run without stopping. You build it up. My style of London Marathon running is with my friend who did it with me. See the third lamppost down there on the left? Do you reckon we can run to that? Yes. Walk the next 15 minutes. See that stump over there on the right? Ratio. And off you go. And that is how we completed 26.2 miles. And we did it in just under seven hours. You can tell I'm not a runner. But we did it. Thank you very much. But you see, this was the second time I'd done the London Marathon. I did the London Marathon the year before because my sister, who is a runner, had said to me, if you can walk it, you can run it, you can do this. And she, for a number of years, has been supporting leukaemia care. My sister is a GP and she has seen so many people suffer with that particular disease. And one of her very close colleagues had passed away and she was supporting. And so in order to support my sister, I did the London Marathon the year before. It just so happened that one of our church members, three weeks before the London Marathon last year, passed away, having lost the battle against leukaemia. It made sense. It felt that you were doing something worthwhile. This year... I didn't run for leukemia care. I ran for BMS World Mission. As a church, we had just become church partners with Gareth and Bethel Shrubshaw at Guinea 2 Hospital in Chad. And when BMS World Mission found out that I was doing the marathon for me, they got in touch with me and they said, well, you know, how are you anticipating your, the money you raise, how are you anticipating that being spent? And I said, well, I just thought it would go into the BMS pot. They said, well, no, you, you can if you want. We can do it to a particular project. And so Gareth, bless him, got in touch, and he said there are two things. There's a build project that we're looking to do, but actually the main thing that we really need funding for is that we have a maternity part of the hospital, is the main part of the hospital. We have mothers who get into difficulty during childbirth. They are really struggling. They need C-section. But actually, it all has to be subsidised. It all has to be paid for. Now, without giving you too much of my own personal history, I am somebody who needed C-section. And part of the NHS system, you just get looked after. You get looked after. You are booked in. You have as many anaesthetists and as many medical professionals in a room as you possibly could need or want. You have the aftercare. You then have all the midwifery services afterwards to make sure that you're okay. And here there are women who are dying. One in nine are dying because what we take for granted is not accessible. And so when I was given that option, 
It seemed that here was an injustice that I could do just a little something for. And I wrote back and I said, I haven't managed to raise loads, but I've raised some. And they went, do you know how many lives you have changed because of this? We may think that we cannot make much of a difference, but we can. We may think that signing up to do something with COP26 won't make huge differences in the grand scheme of things, but it does. Every single time we stand up to injustice, it makes a difference. As I drove down here this morning, I was listening to Radio 4. I was not aware of how many death threats, letter bombs horrendous experiences our MPs go through every single day. Now, I'm not here to stand with any political party, but nobody, nobody deserves that. Whatever we may think, there is a way to speak in grace and love. There is a way to be the Samaritan, to step outside and to reach out. Here, James wanted to build up a trusting relationship with his readers. They needed to tackle important issues. They needed to address persecution. But they also wanted to transform a society. And in doing so, James says three really simple, four, sorry, really simple things. He says this. He says, listen. Listen to those around you. Listen. Be slow to speak. <laughs> slow to anger. Listen. Listen to what our world is saying. Get rid of moral filth. That's the, that's the sort of biblical way. In other words, look at ourselves. <laughs> Look within and stop pointing the finger out and actually put things right within. Delve into this. Delve into scripture. Look at what God says about how he wants his world to be. And then finally, do what it says. Love your neighbor. Be compassionate. Go the extra mile. Step out of your comfort zone. Do the things that we need to do to be the Good Samaritan, to be Jesus' hands and feet and mouth speak. Speak out for those who cannot speak. If we only glance at Scripture in a superficial manner, we will never get to grips with seeing just how much Jesus does for us. And we will never be able to put things into practice. If we make the effort to understand scripture, if we take the effort even just to open the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if we take the effort, examine it, and then act on it, Live it. Integrate it into our lives. 
then, then we will see our world transformed. When we speak out. So I encourage you today, challenge yourself. What are the things that are holding you back? What are the things that you're not speaking out about? Go back to the scriptures and may it challenge us. May it change us. May it enrich us. And may it inspire us to be the people we are called to be so that our actions prove our relationship to God. And may we give him all the glory. May we be that good Samaritan, willing to take risks, willing to see what's around us, willing to be hands, feet, and mouthpieces of Jesus, today and every day. Amen.